0: Hey, love tribe, get excited for another great episode with Chase and our special guest. But before we start, I wanted to remind you about our amazing and free 14 day happy couple challenge. I don't know about you, but with the upcoming holidays, I'm feeling this hectic energy and I'm craving some grounding, fun, and meaningful connection with my partner. So, whether you've been with your partner for many years and you're needing to mix things up, or you're a newly coupled and and you're looking to dive in to learn more about each other. The 14-day happy couple challenge is perfect for anyone wanting to deepen their relationship and have fun while doing it. So head on over to our website to sign up. You can start connecting deeper physically and emotionally today over at IDOPodcast.com/slash 14. With our simple, easy, and doable daily challenges arriving straight into your inbox daily. This free 14-day challenge will help you break the old habits and build new. Engaging habits that will push you to create a deeper intimacy with your partner. Sign up today for free for the 14-day happy couple challenge to start strengthening and improving your relationship today. Head on over to IDupodcast.com/slash 14. That's IDupodcast.com slash 14 to sign up for our free challenge today. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So
1: What's going on, guys? Thanks for tuning in to today's show.
0: Yes. Today on the show, we have Kaylee and Nate Klemp, and they are the authors of the book 8080 Marriage. Kaylee is the nation's leading expert on small group dynamics and leadership development. She is also an author of three other books and is a TEDx speaker. And Nate is a writer, philosopher, and entrepreneur. And also the founding partner of Mindful, one of the world's largest mindfulness media and training companies. And they've been together for, I think, what, married for 14 years, they said, but been... 24
1: 24 years they met in high school.
0: Exactly. Such a beautiful story.
1: Yeah. And they get into their personal story towards the the end of the interview, which is really cool and inspirational. But today we focus on the Enneagram personality trait chart, I guess you would call Mm -hmm. it, or system. And uh, it's really interesting. You guys might know of like Myers-Briggs and different personality trait categorizations. This is one of them. And talk about the different categories and how understanding them for yourself and for your partner coming together with that can really help your relationship. So we really enjoyed just getting to know our own personalities and all the other ones out there and how they relate. To each other and we really encourage you guys to maybe even now to check out the link in the podcast description and take the test so you can have a perspective of where you might fall and the personality traits and you'll have a better understanding as you follow along but even if you don't do that there's a lot of value and kaylee explains all of them so as she does it as sarah and i did you can kind of <laughs> go okay that's me and really interesting interview today.
0: Yeah, great interview. And as always, thank you guys so much for tuning in and sharing the podcast with your friends and family. We have a ton of free resources on the website, so please go check that out. One of those being our 14-Day Happy Couple Challenge. And then our online course, Spark My Relationship. Check it out. We have a discount of $100 off for our podcast listeners. So you can gain access to that discount at sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock. And we hope you guys enjoy today's episode. Hi, Nate and Kaylee. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today.
1: So great to be here. So happy. Today, we're going to talk about how we can use the Enneagram to better understand your partner and enhance your relationship. And in the pre-show, we were talking about how excited Sarah and I are to talk about this because we have no idea what an Enneagram is to start with and probably (laughs) a lot of our listeners as well. So why don't we start there with having you explain what it is and then we'll dive in.
2: Yeah, you bet. So the Enneagram is a personality system. So if you're familiar with any of the others, whether it's Myers-Briggs or the Berkman or um, the PI, the Enneagram is, it has types like all of those. But what's awesome about the Enneagram is it's asking a different question. It's asking why, what's the motivation behind the behavior? And it's cool that you will also get a lot of insight into behavior patterns and some of the default thinking that people of different types will do. But really, the gift is when you know why someone's doing something, it gives you an opportunity to extend them empathy. And when you recognize why you're doing something, it gives you a lot more clarity around whether or not what you're doing is actually working. Are you achieving that goal that you're setting out to accomplish?
1: Okay. I'm so excited. All right. So how can we start with probably you telling us the different personality types under this system?
2: Yeah, you bet. So the Enneagram has nine different personality types and I'll run through each of them just really, really quickly. I actually recommend if you listen to this podcast, you're like, oh my gosh, I am curious about this. I think it's worth doing one of the online tests just to get a little bit more directionality because some of the types on sort of a one-sentence description will actually sound similar to one another and getting clear about sort of your individual why gives you more insight into doing your own personal work. So with that as our caveat, um, I so type one is the reformer and the organizing principle of the one is goodness. And so what you'll see when ones are healthy and at their best is a real sense of ethics, of vision, of principles. And that same thing will start to bite ones a little bit in the behind in that when that striving for goodness gets stuck, it becomes perfectionism, criticism, and judgment. Type two is the helper. And the organizing principle or the essence quality of the helper is love. Love. Sometimes in a corporate setting, people get freaked out by that and we'll call it caring or helpfulness, but on a love podcast, we can call it what it is. (laughs) And so when twos are at their best, they have this sixth sense knowledge of what other people need and are willing to fulfill that need out of the abundance of love that they feel. Where twos will get stuck is that they make it so much about loving other people and being the loving and helpful one that they they neglect themselves. Type three is the achiever. This is um, organized around value. And so threes at their best, they set big goals and accomplish them. And when threes get kind of stuck, it starts to feel like they're human doings instead of human beings, that they're only out trying to make sure that they're contributing value and successful and they kind of forget about their heart. Fours are the individualist, and fours are all about depth or significance and meaning. And when you get a healthy four, expect to understand beauty, aesthetic, um, purpose in a totally new way. When fours get stuck, though, that attempt to really have meaning and depth can start to feel moody or can start to feel sort of extra special or, you know, the criticism of like the special snowflake. <laughs> five right next door is in some ways the opposite. Fives are the investigator. It's really organized around wisdom. And in that essence, quality of wisdom, fives at their best, they are about understanding the full and true nature of things and pushing out the bounds of what can be known. So these are in some ways like your theorists and your scientists. Where fives will get in trouble is that it becomes so about the ideas and so about the knowledge and understanding that they will sometimes forget the people and they'll forget their relationships and get stuck in their head. Sixes are what we call the loyalist. And the organizing principle is security. Although I will say that the more conversations I've been having recently, the more sixes will say to me that they resonate with trust. When sixes are at their best, they are true friends, understand camaraderie and partnership. And also understand systems and structures, really the way to make things safe. And when sixes get stuck is when you'll start to see pessimism. You'll start to see over planning. You might also start to see sort of those negative glasses color things. We are moving around the circle. Type seven is the enthusiast. Sevens at their best are about joy and freedom. These are our classic entrepreneurs, our possibility thinkers, who when they get stuck, get scattered. And eight is the challenger. Challengers are organized around strength. Aids at their very best. They push what other people say is possible. And so eights are willing to take on huge causes to do things that are really game-changing. Where eights will get in trouble is that that push, that challenge can start to be overwhelming to everyone around them where it starts to feel like bull in a china shop or intensity for no reason. And finally, the nine is the peacemaker, often called the crown of the Enneagram. And the essence of nines is peace, which leads them to be able to synthesize, to see the whole picture, to understand pace and perspective. Where nines will get themselves in trouble is that they'll give themselves away, that they'll say yes, when what they really mean is no, sacrificing what they really want just to maintain sort of a copacetic or a peaceful relationship.
1: Excellent. Wow. Well, Sarah and I were just <laughs> scribbling away. and yeah. Yeah. You might have
3: noticed some of your own type in those descriptions. I'm curious. Is there well, one
2: of those that resonates with you just on first glance more than the others?
1: Many. Yeah, I know. A <laughs> that's, few. <laughs> that's I'm what sure. I would... Stu- you know, that, that leads me to my question. I, I wouldn't say many, but definitely two or three. I was like, yeah, uh, I can see that. So are people generally predominantly one or are they a mix of these traits
2: yeah it's a really good question officially in the enneagram you get one dominant type and what i would say is that this is the least flattering way to think about ourselves but what most often happens is that when we're at our best we'll see lots of the great qualities of lots of types But when we're really stressed, we're really overwhelmed, when we're in sort of that automatic or reactive behavior, that's when we're going to see one type more than the others. And that one is sort of your primary type. That said, it is very, very common that you'll have a couple other types that will have a significant influence. Very often, it's one of the next-door neighbor types. Um, In the Enneagram, we call those wings. So as a, for instance... If I notice that one is my primary type that I'm really kind of organized around goodness, but it feels like the way to be good is by showing love and having strong relationships. We might say that I'm a one with a two wing. So one of those neighbor types can have strong influence as a wing. Sometimes in the Enneagram, when you start to explore the symbol in more detail, some of the types are connected by lines. And it's probably too much for a podcast where people can't see the diagram. But if you start to study it in more depth, it's very common that those lines will show up, particularly when we're very stressed or if we have an important person in our life who's of a significant type. So if you have a parent or a grandparent who's significant to you or a spouse of a type, you might start to notice that that type shows up for you more as well.
0: So if I had to guess, because I feel like... We're kind of going to maybe pick one here. I don't know. If I had to guess for Chase, and then let's see if we're right. I would say Chase is a four, the individual one with a wing of a three achiever. And for me, I would say I am a two with maybe a wing of a seven.
1: Interesting. A seven was is
0: the seven enthusiast? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. What would you say? Yours and then mine is.
1: Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Like I'm 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 listening to you talk, Kaylee, and then I'm but you know, I'm also like reading this and I'm thinking about where do I fit in here? And yeah, cuz it's interesting and I'm sure our listeners are doing that as well. Um yeah, I would say that's a, about right, Sarah. For you or for mine? F- for both of us. Yeah. Yeah, and I I thought that was interesting, Kaylee, how you said to frame it like what where you're at when you're kind of at your worst. Because mm-hmm. yeah, like all of these things have good qualities and the ego is like, yeah, there's a little bit of me in, in everyone mm-hmm. of these traits. So how would you tell someone to, I think, definitely encourage our listeners, maybe even pause the podcast and take the uh, test and we'll link uh, to it in the description as far as to where you might be in, in these personality types. And then how can they start to think about it for themselves and obviously with their partners.
3: Yeah. So I can actually take this one. I thought it might be useful to tell you guys a little bit about how we stumbled upon the Enneagram and how it helped us in the early days of our marriage. So this is now, gosh, uh, 14 years ago, we had been married Mm -hmm. for about a year And, you know, met in high school, had an amazing wedding, all that. And then like many couples, we hit that first year or two where it started to get real that this is the person we're going to spend the rest of our life with. (laughs) And we had no idea how to do this thing called marriage. And so we were in a very challenging, dark place. And Kaylee's parents actually recommended, you should go to this Enneagram seminar. And we were like, any Ram, what is that? Why would we do that? So anyway, we ended up going and it was, I think, one of the most important moments in our relationship. It may have saved our marriage, to be honest. And the reason is that we were finally able to understand the patterns of each other. Like some of these things that would drive me crazy about Kaylee, I didn't understand why she was doing those things. And as Kaylee said at the beginning, you know, the Enneagram is really about the why and the motivation behind those. So just as an example, Kaylee is a one, um, the reformer. And that means that when Kaylee's stressed, there's this kind of perfectionism that starts to come through. It's true. So like having a very clean house and kitchen is super important and I'll receive criticism on my dishwasher loading technique, things like that. And early on, I was just like, this is just crazy. Like, why are you (laughs) criticizing the way I load plates? But being able to understand her type helped me see, okay, this is what happens to Kaylee or any Enneagram 1 when they're under stress. And all of a sudden, it gave me a little bit more compassion, a little bit more space and presence as well so that I could act more skillfully in response.
2: And what also that allowed us to do, and where I think this is so powerful, is it gives you a language. So it's not actually very constructive if Nate Nate says to me, you know, hey, you're being nitpicky critical and actually, you know, obnoxious to live with. <laughs> but it's really helpful if he's able to say, Hey gosh, Kaylee, it seems like your one is really triggered. And having the vocabulary of that personality type not as a limiter where it's like now you are only this type, but as a vocabulary for, hey, your personality's kind of gotcha, allowed me to see myself more clearly, take a deep breath and facilitated some really helpful conversations about how we could be more loving
0: toward one another. But before we continue on, we want to tell you about today's sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Real Paper. Real Paper is bamboo toilet paper that does good and also feels good and is conveniently delivered to your door. Real Paper is made of 100% bamboo, making it the most sustainable, eco-friendly toilet paper on the market. Plus, all of their shipping materials are biodegradable and they use plastic-free packaging. A lot of you know that Chase and I try to live a very eco-friendly lifestyle from the cleaning products we use to composting our food to minimize waste. So when we heard about Real Paper wanting to sponsor our show, we were super thrilled to be working with a brand that we align with so well with our values. I am extremely picky when it comes to toilet paper. When I'm in Costa Rica, I will actually drive five hours to San Jose to get a specific brand of toilet paper. So when I heard about real paper and then actually felt how soft it was, I was so excited that I found a new brand that meets my standards and is also made sustainably. I didn't know this, but Bamboo Fibers actually make a much softer paper product than many recycled paper and wood fibers. And because of its very unique composition, bamboo is naturally designed for its strength. And another thing I love about the brand is that they give back. By purchasing real paper, you are supporting their mission to provide access to clean toilets to those in need around the world and also give American households a way to reduce their carbon footprint. So go check out realpaper.com and use the coupon code ADVICE to receive 25% off your first subscription when you order at realpaper.com. Again, that's real, R-E-E-L, paper.com and use the coupon code ADVICE for 25% off your first subscription.
1: Today's episode is also brought to you by our online course, Spark My Relationship.
0: Do you guys want to create more passion, improve your communication, and build a stronger, more intimate connection with your partner in less than 90 days?
1: Yes. Sign me up.
0: (laughs) Then you guys need to check out our online course, Spark My Relationship. It is an online course, like I mentioned, that we created with over 15 therapists and psychologists to bring you guys the strategies marriage therapists teach their clients.
1: We talk about it on the show. Relationships take work. Sometimes they function pretty easily, and you coast along. But we've found the reality is is you have to do work sometimes, and to make them better, to change them, so that they're more satisfying for both partners.
0: And you've made it here. You've made it to listening to our show. So you guys probably already know that a little bit, but what you might not know are the specific tools and exercises that you need to create those lasting and positive improvements in your relationship. And like Chase said, change does not happen on its own. It takes hard work. And that's why we created the course.
1: Spark One Relationship is designed to infuse your life and relationship with fresh passion, skills, and wisdom. And it's a self-paced journey that's perfect for turning up the heat, having some fun together, and revolutionizing your intimacy and communication.
0: And just some tools and strategies that the course includes is to how to eliminate unhelpful old habits, develop mindful awareness to help improve your stress management, learn healthy and successful communication tools, create a deeper and more intimate bond and strengthen your couple microculture, which you will find out what that is. Uh, in the future together. So for our listeners only, we're offering a special of $100 off the course. Visit sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock to unlock your discount. And there is a 30-day money-back guarantee. So there really is no reason to not give it a try. So go to sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock for $100 off.
1: It's such a valuable thing to be able to better understand ourselves, why we act the way we do, to be able to share that with our partner and our partner do the same. Because just like you said, Nate, it it allows us to have a better understanding of why they're acting a certain way or for yourself to understand and give yourself compassion. Like, Hey, I'm, I'm feeling my one right now. That's why, you know, the dishwasher is freaking me out. And (laughs) (laughs) so how else do you guys use this in in your relationship?
2: Oh, I would say we use it all the time and in every way, and so yeah. the first is really about what you were just describing. Chase is this self understanding so if I pick up on what you're saying you know around potentially being a four two or a four seven relationship, for you understanding that What's going on when you are in that four is a desire for depth and meaning and uniqueness. And there's a way that when you're really centered, you're going to see the world through a completely unique lens. You're going to ask questions that no one else would have thought of. And you're going to feel things more significantly. And where that's an incredible gift is in creation, is in sort of orthogonal thinking, is in beauty, is in sort of, I don't know whose idea it was to move to Costa Rica for a little bit for this period of time, <laughs> but sort of the the art of the possible. And yet there's a way that when you're engaged with somebody else, that self-understanding where, you know, whereas the dishwasher might freak me out for you to be like, hey, this feels ordinary. Or this feels shallow, or this feels like, gosh, we are barely scratching the surface. And the other person will be like, well, yeah, it's because it's like this is our first conversation about this. Like, why do you, why does it always have to be the most profound thing? And like, I don't know, it just does. It creates to your point, sort of self compassion and an avenue. Then Sarah, for you to go, hey, how can I meet you where you are? It's possible that there might be a longer processing time, or it's it's possible that. You know, Chase might feel something first and not even have good language for it. And so there's a bit of a patience to loving someone of, of the type four where you're like, the words aren't necessarily easily accessible because the experience doesn't always map to you know, English in particular. And so it, it helps you communicate. It helps you reach out. It helps you connect.
1: It is such a valuable exercise. And yeah, I think I might be the four. You kind of went a little deeper there. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's that's me. So, I knew
0: right away when I heard this. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, he's a four. Two
2: and four is a really interesting combo. And Sarah, seven and four is really, really interesting. So if your home base is type seven, where you and Chase are going to line up is in this art of the possible but as a seven, it comes more from like the world is an expansive and awesome place. And it's almost like life is a buffet and I want to taste every dish that's available. Mm-hmm. And so there's sort of a yes to life experience. But what's a really interesting contrast is that in the seven and also in the two, my outlook on life is slanted extremely toward the positive they like something will happen, and we'll use sort of the stereotype of like somebody gives you a bag of lemons. And not only are you like lemonade, you'll be more creative. You're like, what if we made lemon meringue pie? And then what if we made like a lemon meringue pie stand? <laughs> I think we could transform the economy of Costa Rica with lemon meringue pie. <laughs> right. Meanwhile, Chase is like, there's lemons here. You're like, but why limit ourselves? <laughs> and so there's a really powerful combo in the dreaming ability but also a really interesting point of tension that can show up around what we'll feel sometimes in the seven, like magical thinking. And it's a desire to skip over things that feel boring or painful. Whereas in the four, it almost feels like, and check me on this chase, like those are the more significant things. Like melancholy sometimes feels more true than like spontaneous excitement.
1: Yeah, those are elements.
2: I'm like boring. <laughs> yeah. 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 boring. yeah, and
3: <laughs> then you're like, or we could go do
2: something fun. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and I'm like, let's talk about it. I want to go. Do yeah. like, it.
2: But how does it feel when you're dreaming yeah. about that
1: something fun? I've <laughs> been known to be in my head. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, very interesting. I'm loving this. So I'm thinking now about these personality types, and I don't. I want to say maybe part of the danger or something to be aware of is I can see even just understanding my own now, just a little bit of how that can trap us inside the limiting beliefs of like, Oh, I'm a, I'm a three or I'm a four. So this is how I act or trapping your partner inside of that. So can you talk a little bit about how to think about that?
3: Yeah, I can take this one. So that is one of the potential shadow sides of the Enneagram system is that you can begin to identify with your type or you can begin to identify your partner as a type. So you can start to say things like, oh, you're being such a two right now or like, oh, I'm such a nine. That's my home base on the on the wheel is the nine. Um, and I think at the deepest level, what the Enneagram is saying is that your personality, so your sort of mental and psychological structures fall into these patterns, especially when you're under stress. But you, the essence of who you are, is way bigger than that number, right? And when we're at our best, we can have access to all the different types. So we're not bound to one place on the the wheel. Whereas when we're under stress, we do tend to fall into those patterns of the type. The other thing, though, that I think is interesting here, and this in some ways, can connect the Enneagram to our book, The 8080 Marriage, which we just put out. Which is, you know, in our book, we talk a lot about this idea of radical generosity. So, shifting from doing simply what's fair to a mindset of radical generosity, where we're really stretching toward our partner, contributing at something more like 80% instead of 50%. And with the Enneagram, what I think is really cool and exciting for couples is that once I understand Kaylee's type and I understand the things that motivate her and her unique patterns and and her unique needs, frankly, I'm able to express generosity in a whole new way that really lands for her. And and so there's a a real invitation here, I think, for a powerful form of generosity where we're stretching to meet the other person where they're at and often where they're
1: at is this personality structure of the, the type. Thank you for that, Nate. And kind of tying into that, how would you talk to someone or think about not limiting your partner to that personality type, but also when it's kind of unacceptable, like when it becomes, oh, I'm recognizing you're being a one and this, this and this, but then in having empathy, but then there's a certain point where it's like, it's not an excuse for bad behavior or... Uh, maybe it's just not working in the relationship. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, I think that you, you've you named both sides of the risks of the Enneagram. So um, I actually, I wrote a blog post about this, that the Enneagram is not an excuse. So there's no such thing as like, oh, I just can't help but being overbearing, aggressive and domineering. I'm an eight. Absolutely <laughs> not. The Enneagram is also not an accusation where you can't say like, oh, what, you're just being such a six, like that. That is actually, I think, the opposite of the intention. And yet, what you point to is boundaries and revealing our own truths is also an essential part of marriage. So there's another place where I think the 8080 marriage and the Enneagram are beautifully complementary, which is around this practice of revealing and making a request that. If your partner is doing something that is totally true to type and yet is destructive or hurtful to your relationship, it's really important to be able to, with compassion, say to that person, as a for instance, for a nine, who's you know, sort of their shadow sides that they can withdraw, where I might say, Hey, in this conversation, it feels like I'm out on my own. And my inner experience, my reveal is. It feels like I'm fighting for something that you don't care about. And my request is that you show up and meet me there. And again, that's neither saying, hey, you can't help it. Nine say yes when what they really mean is no. Ah, well, darn, I guess I just live with that. <laughs> no, you make a reveal and a request, but it comes with the compassion that some things are just harder for some types than others, that... For a nine to engage in conflict, for a peacemaker to sort of stretch and have that direct conversation just takes a lot more conviction and energy than, for instance, a challenger, that type eight between the two of you it's sort of that recognition where it takes more presence and attention for that seven, if Sarah, that's your home base, to land and stay with something and you can, of course, dot I's and cross T's, but it's a lot more fun to start a new project. So it takes more discipline and to appreciate that with greater, um, I guess, greater intentionality because you know it's harder.
1: Thank you for that. And and yeah, it, it kind of brings to mind this quote. I've been wanting to share it because I I thought it was so great. I heard it on a podcast and I'll link to it. It was a, a philosopher. Thinker who who wrote a book on love and it's uh, that we don't need people to be perfect. We just need people to explain their imperfections to us in good time before they've hurt us too much with them. And mm-hmm. that was like the way they they framed what love is or a relationship and and that's kind of what we're talking about here. Like our partner in their personality type, it's not perfect, and uh, but we just need to understand our personality type and to be able to share it with our partners. So we're not just hurting each other with these imperfections.
2: I love the way that you're framing that. Cause I think there is no such thing as a perfect person. Like if we're going in pursuit of a perfect person to be married to like good luck friends and report back if you find them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but instead what you're describing and what I love in this philosopher is I think about people's personality types and their Enneagram type in some ways as a lifetime journey where as we get more awareness of our type and the more we understand those default patterns or sort of the ways that we'll think or behave on accident, the more attuned we can be to them and therefore kind of head them off at the pass with choice and be able to engage in a different way that is more loving. So we stop hurting our partner in that old predictable pattern. And yet it's not perfection. It's not that I never misstep, but rather that I can share, darn, this is what happened inside. Here's the journey that I'm on. And next time, let me be better.
1: Well, we have a great overview of the Enneagram. Are there any other elements or ways to use this or that you guys have seen that are valuable that our listeners can think about and bring into their lives?
2: Yeah, I mean, my goodness, the the Enneagram is a component of most of the work that I do. So whether that's personal development, which we're talking about, sort of bringing out the best in yourself, absolutely in intimate relationships, which in some ways are, I think, the crucible of our types, that it really helps us hone and see our own growth journeys. I think the Enneagram is really powerful in leadership development, that there's a whole dimension of the Enneagram that's about how you show up in a leader capacity, how you manage, how you give and receive feedback, that there's really a lot of elements around how to use it pragmatically. In that respect, I use it also with corporate teams, and I think if there's sort of an overarching what's, and it actually many people will use the Enneagram also as a spiritual tool to start to see where kind of their personality keeps them stuck and how they can spend more time really in their, in their essence, in their, the wholeness of their being. So it's kind of a multifaceted tool, depending on which way you want to take it. Kind of to the point of your earlier question, the system I find unfolds. That there's sort of the initial, you know, go back to the first couple minutes that we were talking and pick out a few of the words that resonate with you and then go explore that type or take the test online and see when you come back if there's more exploration that you want to engage in on your own, whether in an online class or in a conversation or in a coaching session. That if you are curious about seeing yourself more clearly and bringing the best of yourself. For your life in all of its forms. Parenting is also another dimension where I find the Enneagram quite useful. The the place to start is in learning your, your own type and then seeing ways that you can grow.
1: Amazing. And if you don't mind, uh, Sarah and I are both curious. You guys, you've said in the beginning that you met in high school and then got married. Could you? share a little bit like uh, about that journey and how you've kind of kept it fresh meeting at such a you know a young age and marrying out of that
3: yeah so we met 24 years ago at boulder high school we still live in boulder we were chemistry lab partners and we dated we went to senior prom together we dated for like six months. And then even though we were going to the same college, we decided we were 17, we're too young. So pragmatically, we decided to break up. And we actually took seven years apart. So we met other people and had our own experience in college. And we we got back together when we were 24, got married uh, a couple years later when we were 26. So that's now 15 years ago. And I think, you know, what was really interesting in that whole process, meeting so young and then getting back together later, is that we, from the very early times of our relationship, had this just like incredible connection and love for each other. But when we started dating again and we got married at 24, 26, we were also coming out of college, trying to make our mark on the world. We were very much individuals both striving for individual success. That's what we were told growing up and in college is, you know, be the best you can be, realize your potential. And so I think the really interesting pattern for us was trying to reconcile love and connection on the one side with this desire to be equals and to, you know, achieve great things in the world. And that really led us to all sorts of interesting explorations. I mean, I think it was what led us to some periods of really deep struggle and being really stuck. But it also led us to
1: explore, you know, a whole new world of how can you be equals and in love, essentially. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. And, and so I have so many questions. I think it's <laughs> such an interesting story and to hear people's stories, but that must've been a hard decision to, to break up. And, and during those seven years, were you guys still talking or can you share a little bit about that and thought? Yeah, absolutely.
3: Well, so we were again at the same college, which was bizarre. So we were kind of friends and, um, you know, we've always been friends. Yeah. So we would still hang out. All of my girlfriends hated Kaylee. (laughs) They were like, why are you going on a walk with Kaylee again? You know, I'm like, I don't, there's nothing between us. I swear we're just friends. And I guess that wasn't true. I also got kind of just
2: mercilessly teased by my um, college friends who they'd be like, you and Nate seem awfully close. It's like, truly we are friends. You can stay friends with someone you <laughs> dated. And then when we got married, my friends were like friends, huh? I was yeah. like, oh. <laughs> Foundation for marriage being friendship. It's a pretty good place to start.
1: Yeah, we'll have to have you back on to really dive into all that. Cause I think that's interesting too. Like this idea that, you know, it's beautiful. You guys got married, but you, you obviously had this connection and then you stayed friends for those seven years and then life happened. But sometimes that happens and then someone meets someone else and they get married to someone else. And it's just interesting how, how things can unfold. Did you kind of have a, a hope or, an idea that you guys will one day get back together or is just let's wait and see.
2: It's a really tricky question. I think that my powers of um, self-denial were quite, quite strong during those seven years. I think if I'm honest, there was always a small part of me that knew that Nate was amazing. And in some ways it's these conversations and these explorations that for me differentiated him from any person who I met it wasn't him, a willingness to look at the gifts and the shadow sides of who we each were to explore when things were breaking, to be like, what's going on? Is there a new model that we can explore here to sort of be on this quest for self and other, and other understanding? And so I think there, there was in me always a recognition of love and I think that when we got back together, it was finally safe to say, like, okay, I, I always
1: loved you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, What a beautiful story. And, and, yeah, it's like what you're saying speaks to a desire for, for growth. And it's not that Nate was perfect. It was like, oh, he wants to just explore that. And we talk about that a lot on the show. And, and that's mm. uh, an important element.
3: Well, yeah. And I think, you know, one interesting transformation for us is we always wanted to grow together, but we never wanted to work together. We had what we called the wall of separation between (laughs) Kaylee and Nate, which basically said, Kaylee, you do your thing. Nate, you go do your thing. And as we've evolved and sort of gone deeper into these ideas, especially that idea I was mentioning before of how can you be equals and in love? It just sort of naturally led us to start working together. So, you know, we wrote this book, The eighty eighty Marriage, over the last few years, and and all of a sudden, the project of doing this book and interviewing people and researching and, you know, being on podcasts like this one today, it brought us even closer, I would say, because all of a sudden, we had this, like, joint creative project, which we had never had before. Um, So, I think that was also just an interesting evolution that early on, we're like, We're never going to do this. We're never going to write a book together. We're never going to work together.
2: I guess never say never. And now here we are. So there's a
3: lot of things we said
1: like no to and then they just happened. Well, thank you so much for sharing a little bit of your personal story and everything that you've shared with us and our listeners today on the show. We really enjoyed it. Uh, Before we wrap up, can you tell our listeners where they can find you online? Uh, tell them about your book a little bit more. That'd be great. And if there's anything you want to emphasize or maybe we skipped over, and then we'll say goodbye.
2: Perfect. Well, so the eighty eighty marriage. This conversation has been, you know, primarily about the enneagram. The eighty eighty marriage is really about the context of modern love. And Nate has pointed to it a little bit. How do you stay equals and in love? And we were on this quest to understand what's the mindset that supports that. How do you shift out of historical scorekeeping or trying to make things 50-50 fair and instead stretch to a mindset of radical generosity? And it's also an understanding of what structures support us in this modern context of marriage. Instead of trying to win on our own, how can it really feel like we're a team and we share in that success? So the 8080 marriage really unpacks how do you create that mindset of radical generosity through contribution, through appreciation, through revealing? And how do you set up the structure of your marriage so that you're set up to win together through clear roles, priorities, boundaries? Understanding power and how that also shows up in the bedroom. So that's a little bit about the 8080 marriage.
3: Yeah. And then you can find us at 8080marriage.com. That's 8080marriage.com. We're also on Instagram and Facebook, 8080marriage. You know, we have a weekly newsletter with free tips and strategies. And that's sort of where you can find us in the world.
0: Wonderful. We'll we'll have the links to your website and your book in the show notes and in the podcast description. And thank you guys so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, uh, this was
3: really fun. Thanks for having us.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show, guys. As always, the links will be in the podcast description as well as on the show notes on our website at idopodcast.com. Dot com. And while you're on our website, we hope you guys check out our free 14 day happy couple challenge. Uh, it's a challenge where we send you a daily email for 14 days with easy doable challenges to help strengthen and improve your relationship. And it's Honestly, just a whole lot of fun to do with your partner. It's something new and we think you guys will really enjoy it. So check it out. And while you're on the website, there are tons of free resources as well as more information about our online course, Spark My Relationship, where our listeners can get $100 off. So check that out. You can go directly to the course website at spark.com myrelationship.com slash unlock. And that's where you can get the $100 off. So thank you guys for tuning in and we'll see you next week.
1: You are listening to a pleasure podcast.